You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Welcome to First Look, Washington Post Live's one-stop shop for news and analysis. I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for the Washington Post. Big week for the January 6th Select Committee. First, the members of that committee voted to hold former Trump White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows in contempt for defying their subpoena. Then the full House of Representatives followed suit. And can we talk about all those text messages Meadows handed over to the committee? Let's get into all of that with Washington Post congressional correspondent Jackie Alamany. Jackie, welcome back to First Look. Hey, Jonathan, how are you? Great. So I know I did this whole build up to January 6th, but before we can even talk about that, let's get two things out of the way. The state of play on Build Back Better first. We're not going to, it's going nowhere in 20, by the end of 2021, is it? We haven't heard that explicitly, but that is essentially the gist of it. Uh, It has been a rough week for Democrats. I don't think they wanted it to end this way, but at this point it seems inevitable. Um, But essentially President Biden's biggest economic priority, passing the Build Back Better plan, uh, the nearly $2 trillion infrastructure bill um, that built on the previously passed bipartisan infrastructure bill is not going to get done by the Christmas deadline, Mm -hmm. going to be pushed into next year after Joe Manchin um, sort of stalled and and blew the December plan up. And then two other uh, priorities as well have also been stalled, um, voting rights and then a separate child tax credit standalone bill that could at least have taken some of the pressure off of people feeling uh, frustrated for not getting billed back better done because that was supposed to include some file tax credit extensions or provisions there. Um, so Democrats are, are probably going home with, with uh, not much to talk about for this December holiday and, and recess. Okay, hold up. Let's talk about, because the next thing I was gonna bring up was voting rights. And so was I wrong to think, because Build Back Better was sort of losing steam in terms of getting done by 2021, that the renewed effort, it seems, ever since Senator Warnock's you know, Boffo's speech on the House floor about the filibuster, and then the president's own, for him, positive words about the importance of getting voting rights done. Am I to hear from you that even that might not make it, even in that nar- in the narrow window that we have in 2021? Yeah, I mean, look, we have a, a tiny bit of time left, but the full the push for voting rights ultimately that that happened earlier this week was sort of twofold one it was built off of um joe manchin kind of warming to some of the rules changes after last week senate democrats uh made some rules changes that would that allowed them ultimately to raise the debt limit without the support of any republicans and joe manchin supported that so i think there was a a hope potentially that manchin would then in turn support a major priority like voting rights um, by making similar rules changes. So the conversation had you know, shifted more, less away from the filibuster and more towards rules changes with voting rights being the vehicle, the bill for that, those rules changes. Um, mm-hmm. But this also came up pretty conveniently because I think Democrats were starting to realize that they were spinning their wheels on Build Back Better and they wanted to go home with a victory. And there are various voting rights bills that are currently drafted and it, suddenly became more feasible potentially to get something like that that's already drafted, ready to go out the door so long as they could come to an agreement on those rules changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
basically what happened was uh, Manchin in those talks has not yet agreed to anything. And Kristen Sinema really came out yesterday and also kind of quashed any momentum. So not only are Democrats able to deflect and point to a different victory, but they also now have two disappointments on their hand for, for the end of the year. Oh my gosh, Jackie, I'm desperately trying not to call you the Grinch with that, with that news. All right, let's talk about January 6th. Talk about the significance of the contempt vote against Mark Meadows, a former member of Congress and also the former chief of staff to the president of the United States. Yeah, Jonathan, it was a pretty remarkable week seeing Congresswoman Liz Cheney read aloud some of the text messages and various documents and emails that the committee has so far received from Mark Meadows when he waived his own privilege claims and actually provided them with over 9,000 pages worth of, uh, again, correspondences and um, text messages from his personal cell phone. Uh, but the House had to hold him in contempt after last week he sort of reversed himself and decided that he was no longer going to cooperate. This came as Trump became uh, angry with Mark Meadows for releasing some uh, details that didn't make former President Trump look all that great in his book, along with the fact that the president had previously tested positive for COVID sooner than we realized showed up to the presidential debate uh, with a positive test. But this contempt vote was significant. Mark Meadows is now the second person to be held in contempt. Um, the DOJ is now going to have to decide whether or not they're going to prosecute that contempt resolution. That's up to Merrick Garland. Steve Bannon is the other person the DOJ is currently in the midst of uh, prosecuting as they did decide they were going to take those charges up. There's also Jeffrey Clark. He uh, was voted out of the committee to be held in contempt, but the House hasn't held a full vote on that just yet. But it's Mark Meadows is perhaps the most significant person of all here because what we have learned from these ribs and drabs that we've seen uh, come out of the committee about Mark Meadows is that he is was key to uh, potentially answering the biggest question that the committee has, which is what was Trump doing as the violence was underway uh, at the Capitol after the Stop the Steal rally, um, and also how key he was to the president's effort to overturn the results of the election. These emails and these text messages really clarify his role as being the conduit and sort of the conspiracy theorist uh, the, the chief conspiracy theorist in the White mm -hmm. House was taking in all these emails, these, this 38-page PowerPoint that outlined various uh, proposals and, again, conspiracy theories uh, to overturn the results of the election. And Mark Meadows was sanctioning those, organizing around it, and was the official government and White House channel, the receptacle right. for a lot of these things. And and um, the the creator of that, pow that PowerPoint, that army Colonel um, uh, has been subpoenaed now by the January 6th committee. Um, but in the time that we have left, and of course, since you are our congressional correspondent reporter, let's talk about the other side of the Capitol and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who you very well know only tells you what he wants you to know. And here's what he said the other day when asked about the January 6th uh, Select Committee and, and all the revelations this week. He said, quote, we're all watching, as you are, what is unfolding on the House side. And it will be interesting to reveal all of the participants who were involved. That's, that is an earthquake. Explain to, explain to viewers why those words out of the mouth of Mitch McConnell um, 
should be like smelling salts to um, uh, Capitol Hill. Totally. It, uh, he also mentioned it again last night in a local news interview where he said that he found uh, the findings of the committee, quote unquote, interesting, which is a very loaded term coming from the Senate minority leader uh, who is famously closed-lipped. Uh, but look, I think what this shows is that this committee is not the political cudgel that I think Republicans had previously thought it might be. It's also Mitch McConnell putting a lot of distance between Senate Republicans and House Republicans. House Republicans, remember, have to represent smaller gerrymandered districts. Their districts are usually more conservative uh, than the average, uh, you know, re more mainstream Republican. And senators have to represent a whole state. Uh, I think it is a very clear indication that Mitch McConnell does not think this is a good issue for his vulnerable Republicans to have to be dealing with. Um, I think it also comes from, you know, Mitch McConnell has been angry and upset with former President Trump since January 6th. He is one of the only Republicans who has sort of uh, not now embraced the former president again and taken him back in, but has continued to maintain a distance um, after uh, McConnell sort of condemned Trump's rhetoric and language that that led to the insurrection and the breach on the Capitol, and then had very strong words in in the aftermath against the president and against the violence. Um, Jackie, before we go, and we do have to go, is that a cupcake behind you? <laughs> oh, which would yeah? There we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My oh, cookie jar. Oh, <laughs> okay. All right, good. Mystery solved. Um, not that what you um, were saying wasn't interesting, but I was mesmerized by um, the confection uh, behind you. Jackie Alamany, Washington Post congressional correspondent. investigative questions. <laughs> Thank you, as always, for coming to First Look. Have a good weekend. Thanks, Jonathan. You too. All right. We're going to uh, keep the conversation going with our Opinions Roundtable in just a moment. Let's go to the opinion side of the Washington Post, where we will find my colleagues, Washington Post columnists Donna Edwards and Charles Lane. Chuck, Donna, welcome back to First Look. Thank you. Thank you it's Jonathan. great to be with you. So, um, Donna, let's keep talking about, about the January 6th uh, Select Committee um, uh, and Mitch, I, I'm so fascinated by what Mitch McConnell said and has been saying this week about the committee. It's interesting and, um, you know, paying attention to like, who the participants who are all involved. What should we make of this? Well, I, I mean, I think that um, he has been he has been particularly interested in separating himself from the goings on on January 6th and from uh, from uh, the former president. And his comments to me suggest that he's also um, indicating that perhaps what happened with certain members of Congress vis-a-vis -vis the, the White House is quite interesting. And so I think he, like all Americans, are um, waiting to see uh, the additional evidence that's coming forward. I think the case that was laid out um, over this last week by uh, Liz Cheney was damning for the former president and for his administration. And the revelations coming out of the troves of documents provided by Mark Meadows 
um, do not bear well when it comes to the indictment of the former, not formal indictment, but um, the right. uh, former president and uh, members of his uh, circle uh, fomenting the insurrection that happened on January 6th. You know, Chuck, the, the treasure trove of information that Mark Meadows, I mean, under, under subpoena, but that he handed over before deciding not to cooperate have been pretty, I mean, just unbelievably spectacular in what they revealed from the text messages that came into him from members of Congress, the text messages that came into him from anchors at Fox News pleading with him to get the president to do something on that day. I'm just wondering, what do you make of Mark Meadows' actions at first cooperating and then deciding not to after handing over all of that information? I just want to say first, Donna, I love your Christmas decorations. Uh, they outdo the cupcake. And all I have is a bunch of books in the back of me. Well, it seems to me, Jonathan, I agree with you that there's a lot to chew on in what's come out. And I think it's pretty clear that people who today are acting as if it was no big deal, this insurrection, on the day itself were in a state of panic. And on the other hand, there may have been some, and I think this is what the Senator McConnell was alluding to, may have been some in Congress who knew about it in advance, or at least that's an issue that the committee is getting close to. It seems to me Mark Meadows is managing to get the worst of both worlds from his point of view. On the one hand, he's revealed a lot of information and he's getting all kinds of blowback from Trump. And now he's stopped revealing it and he might get held in criminal contempt. Um, you know, it would have been a lot easier, it seems to me, for him to just pick one option or the other, to let it all hang out, say everything he knows, cooperate fully, uh, or defy 100%. Instead, he's kind of caught in this no man's land. And I think it's, a, it's, to the advantage, it's to the advantage of the public because this information is coming out. And, and th or this has is my question. Out. Right. And I've heard people say, you know, describe... Um, you know, former Congressman Meadows is not being among the smartest people to ever be in the House. But do you think he actually thought he could have it both ways? Is that a question to me? Yes, to you. It, it appears from his actions prior to this that what he wanted to do was negotiate, right? Which is the old, which is the old way that these things have been handled. And then I think when, uh, I think he also wanted to make money by publishing a book, uh, which probably, you know, is a little crossways with trying to play it straight in terms of an investigation. Um, but I think the pushback and the uh, hostility that he's been met with for having cooperated to the extent that he did, you know, President Trump is treating this like, or former President Trump is treating this like, you know, an absolute test of loyalty. Uh, with huge consequences for anyone inside the party. And Meadows has found himself caught on the mm -hmm. wrong side of that. You know, Donna, President Biden uh, said this week, weighing in when, I, I believe, when asked, that Mark Meadows was, quote, worthy of being held in contempt. You're not only a, a former member of Congress, you're also a, a lawyer. What do you make of the president commenting on Meadows? 
Well, I mean, I think that he's observing, frankly, what um, the Congress laid, what you know, Democrats laid out um, uh, in terms of um, you know holding Mark Meadows in contempt, and he's merely commenting on you know what uh, Liz Cheney and the rest of the committee put forward for the basis of the uh, criminal uh, contempt referral. Uh, I think that here, Mark, what Mark Meadows has done is he went in the mode of cooperation and then he pulled back. He's a lawyer. He understands that um, once you do that, the cat's out of the bag. You can't pull those documents back. It allows the committee to put the pieces uh, together and it defeats his argument of executive privilege. And I think that that is what is, is key here. And I would not be surprised at all if uh, the Department of Justice moved forward on this con uh, criminal contempt uh, claim. Uh, Chuck, real fast, do you think, um, what do you think the Justice Department's gonna do? I think they're gonna think it over very carefully and they're gonna, you know, I think they're gonna proceed, but I think we should all be, be cognizant of the fact that the goal here is to get information. That's the top priority, not to put people in jail, even though that may be necessary. Mm -hmm. All right, let's let's talk about uh, action on other action on Capitol Hill, legislative action. Donna, you recently wrote a column uh, critical of your former colleagues where you asked a simple question. Why does Congress only act at the last minute? You were there. You were part of that. What's the answer? Well, I think part of it is that, um, you know, when these deadlines come up, it then becomes a driver for getting it done. Although we noticed this last week that for all of the talk about um, you know the the debt limit and raising the raising the ceiling, um, it basically happened without a whimper um, and you know move forward. And so I think it's a testament that Congress, when they're pushed, they can get it done. It is just nerve wracking for all of the rest of us. Um, to have to, you know, to, to suffer through it. And I think some of it is just the way the calendar works and that it drives these, uh, these deadlines, but it's mighty, mightily frustrating. And I have to say, I'm more frustrated outside than I was inside. Hmm. Oh, that's, that's interesting. I'm, 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 I'm curious by when you say, you know, when, about Congress, when pushed, they can get it done. There were deadlines for build back better. There were deadlines for voting rights. And as we now know this morning, build back better is going to blow through that deadline. And most likely, as Jackie just, just reported, um, while it hasn't been officially stated, it's pretty much not going to happen in 2021. Um, Jackie Grinch Alamany also said <laughs> that voting rights also uh, probably won't make it in 2021. So, so Chuck, um, your, your reaction to that and what Donna said in terms of how Congress operates? Well, um, I think when you started talking, you were discussing the legislative action and really what we're seeing is the legislative inaction. Uh, and that I think just comes back to the simple fact that the Democrats do not have the votes in the Senate. Um, I think there were a lot of expectations built on the idea that, well, Joe Manchin will always be there in the end. And as the year went on, he kept saying, not there yet, I'm not there yet. And we came to the end of December and he still wasn't there. And apparently he has major substantive disagreements with this bill. 
that have been reinforced in his mind by the developments over the year in terms of inflation. And um, the Democrats, I think, miscalculated, to be very honest with you, about how pliable Joe Manchin would be. A question I have, and uh, I don't know the answer to, is whether you get to restart the clock on reconciliation, maybe Donna knows this, in a new calendar year, or mm. whether this is something you could only use once per calendar, that might change it. Um, but the, the, the problem, I mean, we can talk endlessly about deadlines and so on, and I think a lot of them were artificial deadlines. Chuck, Chuck Schumer just said, we have to do it by Christmas. That's not a real deadline, but it all comes down to Manchin. And and cinema, I mean, can't leave her out of this. Um, okay, we've got maybe six minutes left, and we got to have probably the most important conversation that we can have for the last first look of 2021. Uh, Time Magazine named Elon Musk Person of the Year. Why? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but again, since this is our final. Uh, first look of 2021. Donna, Chuck, I would like to know who is your person of the year? And Donna, you go first. Well, I mean, I think you have to look at the Capitol Police, Eugene Goodman, um, his, um, you know, his defense of the, the Capitol representative of uh, Capitol Police officers and Metropolitan Police officers who defended democracy on January 6th. And I think it's a shame that Elon Musk was uh, was named person, per, time person of the year because um, that's representative of uh, uh, selfishness and, um, you know, and a monetary, you know, kind of uh, greed. And, um, you know, the actions of bravery and defense of democracy at this most important moment I think to me is more representative of a time person of a person of the year. Hmm. Um, Chuck, who would be your person of the year? Well, first of all, I want to say, even though it wasn't my person of the year, I strongly agree with everything Donna just said about her person of the year would have been a terrific uh, choice. And I also agree that, you know, Elon Musk epitomizes a lot of stuff is admirable in terms of entrepreneurship, but not so much in other ways. But I think what Time had in mind is something about like what I have in mind in terms of picking a person, which is an alternative view of, well, somebody who was really influential and who epitomized trends of the year, even if you may not admire them 100%. And my choice was the person we were just talking about, which is Joe Manchin, mm. who turned out to be a surprisingly pivotal figure in Congress this year, and who through his behavior, whether you agree with it or not, epitomized a lot of what is happening in the United States. He epitomized the role of the filibuster in our democracy. He epitomized the role of small states and their outsized uh, role in our democracy. And, you know, he epitomized the problems that Democrats ultimately ran into in terms of making the big changes uh, that they had promised. At the same time, I think you just can't deny that the man occupied center stage in Washington for so much of the year. And that alone, I thought, you know, made him at least, you know, I, I wanted to just point out that unexpectedly, this guy turned out to be a big player. Oh, I'm trying desperately to find a, a 
something we need to say about that occupying center stage uh, comment that you made about Joe Manchin, but I can't think of one. And we're running out of time, but we have to now look into your respective crystal balls and look forward to 2022. Who will be the person of the year in 2022, Donna Edwards? Well, I don't know if she will be, but she should be. And it is the Belarus opposition leader, uh, Svetlana Tiknovskaya. I think I got her name right, um, because she is emblematic of what's happening around the world and the challenges to democracy. And I think that um, should she win that fight and um, finally get rid of Alexander Lushenko in uh, Belarus, that that will be a sign that democracy is growing and is healthy around the world. Chuck, we've got 90 seconds. Who will well, be person of the year in 2022 for you? Well, Don and I are thinking in the same realm overseas. We're also thinking about the same issue, which is the future of democracy. But once again, I'm picking sort of a bad guy, uh, which is Xi Jinping, the uh, dictator of China. This is a big year for China. They have the Olympics in 2022. And in November, the party Congress that is almost certain to anoint Xi Jinping for an unprecedented third term. All at the same time, he is threatening Taiwan and the Chinese economy is in very shaky condition. This is going to be a major test of the Biden administration's ability to cope with the threats that China is posing, both in terms of geopolitics and in terms of the future of democracy abroad. Hmm. Um, I was going to participate in the 2021, 2022, although I would say 2021. I agree with Donna. I agree with Eugene Robinson, who in the paper today also makes the case for Capitol Hill police officer Eugene um, Goodman. Uh, but 2022, I have no idea who the person of the year is going to be. Um, but hopefully we'll all be around to talk about it a, a, a year from now. <laughs> Donna Edwards with your Christmas decorations. Chuck Lane, you don't have Christmas decorations, but you do have something no one else has. And that is Barack Obama over your shoulder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Legos. I also have Legos. And, right. And your Legos. <laughs> and Jackie Alamany with her, with her cupcake cookie jar. Donna Edwards, Chuck, Chuck, Chuck Lane, gotta go. Um, thank you, as always, for coming to First Look. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you in the new year. All right, Happy John, holidays. Happy holidays. Thank you. Same to you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.